Coming up is the Space Show. And this evening we begin with a piece of music that sets up our main topic. Here are the ventures with Skylab. Welcome to the Space Show, presented by members of the Space Association of Australia. Hello, I'm Andrew Rennie. On this evening's The Space Show, the daring mission of Skylab 2 and the story of one of the great saves of the space age. listening to the ventures Skylab. Now the Skylab space station was launched into Earth orbit on 1973 May the 14th. During launch the protective meteoroid shield broke free tearing off a solar wing and preventing a second wing from deploying its solar cells. We told that story on our program of May the 10th and that is now up on the Space Show website. This evening we tell the amazing story of how the three Skylab 2 astronauts performed one of the great saves of the space age. A Skylab 2 was supposed to have been launched 24 hours after Skylab 1 to ferry three astronauts to board and set up the United States' first space station. That done, they were to live there for 28 days performing scientific investigations. Skylab 2 was to be followed by two more crews of three to stay 56 days each. When flight controllers at the Johnson Space Center in Houston realized that Skylab 1 was seriously damaged, they set and trained a series of investigations into what had gone wrong and developed a new plan for Skylab 2. Finally, 11 days later, salvage equipment had been loaded into the cramped Apollo command module. Astronauts Pete Conrad... Joe Kerwin and Paul Weitz squeezed in, 
closed the hatch and on Saturday, May the 26th, were rocketed into orbit by a Saturn 1B. We're approaching the one-minute mark in our countdown. Mark, T-minus one minute, one minute and counting in the launch of the first manned mission in Skylab. T-minus 50 seconds and counting, and we are now going to internal power. Fuel tanks pressurized, and the countdown continuing to go smoothly. The Skylab itself orbiting some 780 nautical miles northeast of KSC at this time. T-minus 17 seconds and counting. T-minus 15. At T-minus 3.1 seconds, we'll expect the engine sequence to start on the vehicle. T-minus 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Engine sequence start. 2, 1, 0. We have launch commit and we have liftoff. The clock is running and Skylab has cleared the tower. This was Pete Conrad's fourth ride into space. His first two had been in Gemini capsules atop Titan II missiles and his third aboard Apollo 12 being thrust towards the moon by the mighty Saturn V. This prior experience did not dull his experience. Houston is now controlling. The thrust is going all engines. Boy, is that a smooth ride. 25 seconds, pitch and roll program started. Skylab now maneuvering to its proper flight path attitude. Mark 35 seconds, one nautical mile on altitude. Give it a green by range safety. Mark 45 seconds, cabin pressure relieving, adjusting now from sea level to a space environment. Mark 50 seconds, two nautical miles in altitude. And roll is complete, Houston. Roger. Stand by for mode one, Bravo. Mark, mode one, Bravo. Roger, propellant cup is RCS command. Roger. Mark, uh, one minute, eight seconds, roll program complete. Caleb Houston, your feet wet. Roger, feet wet. That, that call up from Capcom, Dick Truly says, Caleb now capable of water landing. One minute, 20 seconds, passing through the period of maximum aerodynamic pressure on the vehicle. Once in orbit, the Skylab 2 crew wasted no time in catching up to the damaged Skylab 1 space station. As they flew their Apollo craft around Skylab, the crew described the damage and televised views down to Mission Control in Houston. Skylab Houston, we're AOS at Goldstone. We got you for the next 16 minutes. Hey, okay. I want to time, wait. Yeah. Let me uh, give it a TV. They give you a brief description as you suspected solar wing one two, right? Uh, two is gone, completely off the bird. Solar wing one is in fact partially deployed in the reason that you've got different readings. That's symmetric between your three solar panels as there's a bulge of meteorite shield underneath it in the middle. And it looks to be holding it down. I I think that we can take care of that with the SEVA. It looks at first inspection uh, like we ought to be able to get it out. The gold foil has turned considerably black in the sun. The solar cell is clear. There's some. Hey, Houston. Go ahead. On the vent modules, all the covers are still intact. Roger. The, the covers did not leave the vent modules on wing number one. Copy. Can you tell which way to point that son of a gun from the... Roger. <laughs> hey, 
Houston, are we too close or too far for you? I think you're real good, Pete. We can uh, we can see that whole wing. Okay, be advised, we have all four service module quad lights on from overheat. They're reading 200 degrees. Roger. Roger, we're looking at it. I assume you're pointing just about in the place where the meteoroid shield is underneath the wing. Is that correct? Well, I'm trying to, but my picture is turned inside out and backwards, and a camera hangs up in here on a couch structure. Roger. Okay, Houston, it looks like the meteoroid shield at the upper vent panel on the south wing has wrapped around it just slightly. Fairway. Now, my guess is that our easiest thing to do is just go to the end and try and deploy it. Roger. Uh, Pete, from which side of the SAS is the meteoroid shield slightly wrapped around? Is it on the side of the main tunnel or uh, the uh, underside? The other side, Dick. Roger. Can you see a good TV picture or not? No, I haven't been able to give him one. As I can't point it, the damn spacecraft keeps drifting. I have a hard time getting the thing to... Well, uh, hang in there, Paul. Uh, the, it isn't real steady, but every now and then we're getting uh, some pretty clear views and uh, we can replay it. And uh, Skylab Houston, uh, we think that's green uh, Teflon on the underside of the meteoroid shield that you were probably commenting on just a minute ago. Yeah, that's what it is. Now, right by the scientific airlock, the aluminum, the gold foil has curled up on the, at the old plus X end of it, uh, but I don't think that'll hinder any kind of a deployment attempt. Roger. All right, I'm getting awful close to the discount antenna. It's about five feet sitting outside the window there. And, and Pete, one question that I would like to ask you, and, and that is you said you could see the butterfly hinge a while ago. Uh, could you tell us the condition of it? Well, the butterfly hinge is underneath the fast wing all the way on the far side of it, and it's up. Roger. Oh. Yeah, but the, the, and the one thing the one thing that's bothering me though is that that if this was the wing that was down and locked and then they opened it, then it pulled that meteorite shield as far as it did. It pulled it 18. That's a hell of a good point. And that's where it's it's it, it's hanging up the solar panel right at the upper vent plate. That makes sense to you, Houston, the upper of the three vent plates, which is just below where the meteorite shield starts, the top part of it starts. That part is wrapped onto the SAS beam by about three or four inches. Roger, Pete, and I think you gave us a real good picture of uh, that piece of metal just a second ago. Inspection done, the crew made a soft dock with Skylab 1 and ate a meal and rested. Refreshed, the astronauts donned their spacesuit helmets, undocked from the space station and flew to the side of Skylab 1 where the sole solar wing was snagged. The cabin of Skylab 2 was depressurized, the hatch opened and Paul Whites stood up. With both Skylabs travelling at 28,000 kilometres per hour, Conrad manoeuvred his craft to within a few metres of the space station. Using a three-metre-long tool, Whites tried to pull the snagged solar boom free. Hopefully we'll get a report on the stand-up EVA from the crew during this Passover Goldstone. 
Skylab Houston, we're AOS at Goldstone for 10 minutes. How you doing, Joe? All right, got the one off, got the other one coming. Garrison's going by. Hey, listen, we're running into dark pretty fast. Skylab Houston, we're AOS at Goldstone. How do you read? decided they were going to have trouble, but they were going to keep on trying. And we'll continue the story of Skylab 2. You're listening to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. Where we have wound the clock back 50 years, yes, 50 years ago this week, when Skylab 2 was launched with the intention of boarding Skylab 1, the space station. Uh, But first, the astronauts had to try and pull out the solar wing. They are really, really struggling with it. And uh, let's hear what happens next. When the astronauts identified the cause of the problem, that is, a wing strap was preventing deployment. Pete Conrad expressed his frustration at not being able to deploy the solar panels. Eventually, the attempt was declared unsuccessful. This is Skylab Control. Skylab 2 crew apparently unsuccessful in bending back the aluminum angle. Pete Conrad described as running some two and a half feet along the edge of the solar wing beam that the tools that were carried aboard were inadequate for removing this 
rather husky piece of angle. After 37 minutes in the open hatch, Whites stowed the equipment, sat down, and the hatch was closed. The command module was repressurized, and Conrad flew it around to the front of Skylab. Then a new problem emerged. There was a difficulty in docking the command and service module to Skylab 1. At last contact over the Vanguard tracking station, the crew of, Apollo, of Skylab 2 was having difficulty in redocking. They'd made several attempts and were going down through the backup procedures for retracting in and extending the probe. Several uh, suggestions were made from the ground, such as going back to four-jet maneuvering on the reaction control system thrusters, whereas they had been only on two-jet thrusting during the stand-up EVA to prevent the uh, RCS plume from striking the pilot as he stood in the hatch. Over the next three and a third hours, numerous attempts at achieving a hard dock were made. It looked like the Skylab 2 crew would have to return to Earth without boarding the space station. This would be similar to what happened in 1971 when the crew of Soyuz 10 had to come back home after being able to achieve a hard dock with Salyut 1. Then we heard this. Skylab Houston through the Vanguard, how do you Considerable applause here on the report of hard docking. Latches, and we got a tunnel integrity check in the work right now. Hey, hey, way to go. Good shot. You, you can tell Sim Soup that we really sure like to get some nominal days out of this thing after a while. The crew now ate, rested, and slept without even opening the forward hatch into the space station. Next day, May the 26th, Skylab 1 had been pressurised to 30 kilopascals or one-third Earth's atmospheric pressure and the hatches linking the craft were opened. The first man to enter the space station was Paul Weitz. On the third day of the mission, a press conference was held. As was usual in the 1970s, the reporters' questions were relayed up to the Skylab 2 crew by a fellow astronaut in mission control. For Dr. Curvin, why were you the only crew member who didn't swear when the first docking attempt failed? I was too stupid to realize the serious implications of our problem. The, the background to this question was what was said during the repeated attempts at docking. After the frustration of being unable to free the solar wing and now being unable to dock, Conrad vented some unprintable language, 
unconcerned at this time that the ears of the world were listening. Well, on day 14 of the Skylab 2 mission, that was June the 6th, Conrad and Kerwin conducted a spacewalk and after a struggle succeeded in opening the solar wing and its panels. I'll tell you where we are. We got the wing out locked. The outboard panel and the middle panel are about, about the same amount. And the third one is not quite. Now, Joe, I think before you come in, you better take a look up there and make sure that third one is clearing all the debris. Better than fucking me. I do that myself from right here. I can get there from here. Okay, uh, Pete, we want to understand uh, that the outboard two were uh, almost all the way out last no. time you looked in the inboard. No, 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 no. They are further out than the inboard one, but none of them are out very far. All of them are accordion evenly, and the angles between the panels look to me like about 20 degrees, Rusty. So they've got a good long way to go. Okay, are they still moving? And how long ago did you get them out? Got them out about five or eight minutes ago, and they're not still moving. Okay, Pete, just out of curiosity, did you cut through the strap or pry it, or what did you do with it? Cut through it. And I'll tell you what, let me tell you what it was. It, it was where meteoroid shield had torn off of both sides of the angle so that we had two angles and a doubler with the bolts in it. We had no flanges. That opening was a drama that was only publicly revealed later. At first, the cutter did not bite through the metal strap wrapped around the joint from the meteoroid shield. Try as he might, Joe Kerwin was unable to snap the metal. Conrad moved along the 7.6 metre long cutter pole to the jammed boom. Just as he reached it, the jaws worked, sending the strap flying apart. Suddenly, the mighty boom began to move out, sending Conrad cartwheeling into space. Grabbing the tether, he made his way back onto the pole and rejoined Kerwin. But the boom came out only 20 degrees, not the expected 90 degrees. So Conrad again worked his way back to the boom hinge and physically snapped the crevice bracket to free the boom. Conrad attached a rope to the boom and in a joint tug-of-war, he and Kerwin pulled on the boom and snapped the bracket. The boom opened 90 degrees. Soon after, Mission Control was able to make this announcement. This is Skylab Control, 18 hours, 18 minutes, Greenwich Mean Time. The solar array wing is out. Bolt cutters uh, successful uh, in severing that aluminum strap. The three solar cell panels on the wing not fully deployed. The inboard one uh, less deployed than the other two. The plan is to initiate a... uh, maneuver with the spacecraft, 45-degree pitch maneuver, to get that wing uh, more into the sun, warm it up, and it's believed that the panels will then deploy fully, or at least more fully. Dampers on those panels are uh, thought to be frozen because of the very low temperatures they've seen. 
Uh, President Nixon took note of the success and sent a message to the crew. Okay, I got a message I'd like to read to you. It's to Skylab Commander Conrad. On behalf of the American people, I congratulate and commend you and your crew on the successful effort to repair the world's first true space station. In the two weeks since you left the Earth, you have more than fulfilled the prophecy of your parting words, we can fix anything. All of us now have new courage that man can work in space to control his environment, improve his circumstances, and exert his will, even as he does on Earth. Signed, Richard Nixon. Well, thank you from all of us. With the power from the main solar wing and from the four solar arrays on the Apollo telescope mount, Skylab was now power positive. Control, Greenwich Mean Time, 0028 minutes. Flight Director Neil Hutchison called attention to his flight controllers. We have 100% on all sections of the solar panel number one deployed today by the commander Pete Conrad and science pilot Joseph Kerwin. If all, all PCGs, the power conditioning groups of the uh, airlock module through which the power from the solar array is uh, passed through, if all these PCGs come online, we will have an additional 2,000 watts to the uh, approximately 4,000 already being produced as a result of the Apollo telescope mount solar array, which was deployed on the first day of launch and has been providing the necessary power since the crew arrived at the Skylab space station on May 25th. Later, when things had calmed down and the three astronauts had rested, President Nixon made a telephone call. Not as significant as the famous call to Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon, but noteworthy nonetheless. This is Skylab Control at 15 hours Greenwich Mean Time. During Skylab's pass over the United States on the last revolution, there was a conversation between the President of the United States and the Skylab crew. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? Fine. Is this uh, Pete Conrad? Yes, sir. Nice You're to talk- Nice to talk to you again. And uh, Commander Kerwin and Commander uh, White are there with you, right? Yes, sir. Well, I just want you to know that uh, uh, everybody here has been following what you've been doing. And I guess the way I could summarize this project is that it proves that that uh, man still matters uh, with all the with all the uh, technical uh, machines and so forth that you had to work with. It proved that when uh, uh, there were difficulties, that uh, the ingenuity of men uh, in space was what really mattered. And you've really made us all very proud with the way you handled some difficult uh, problems uh, in this project. Thank you, sir. And California at that time, and after you've. Uh, down. I hope to welcome the three of you, perhaps, uh, when you, maybe you can come up to San Clemente and we can say hello. What, wonderful, sir. I'm sitting here talking to you right now, uh, coming up on the coast of California, looking out the window at a full moon. Is that right? Uh, let me also say this, that this is Father's Day. I understand each of you is a father, so congratulations. Thank you, sir. All right, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, after you get back. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for the call. Thank you, Pete. Bye. The Soyuz 11 crew had spent 23 days aboard the Salyut 1 space station in 1971. On June the 18th, Skylab 2 broke the Soviet record. In one minute, the LOS will be coming up on Honeysuckle at 5.6, and in about uh, two minutes from now at 7.22, you will become the new world champs for longest space flight. Okay, thanks for the dope, I think we're all up. 
possibly getting weighed. Copy. This is Skylab Control at 7 hours 22 minutes Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, Skylab uh, has now equaled and is just about uh, a few more seconds will exceed the uh, Soyuz 11 record for manned space flight. Uh, as you heard, uh, Capcom Hartsfield informed the crew that they will be the new world's champion for a manned space flight. The duration of the Soyuz 11 mission was 570 hours, 22 minutes. The Skylab 2 crew has now exceeded that mark. The commander, Pete Conrad, has uh, now logged 1,077 hours and 10 minutes of space flight. As the Skylab 2 crew approached the end of their 28-day mission, these joking final instructions were radioed up to them. A message was sent up to the crew late yesterday by teleprinter with procedures for leaving the orbital workshop and for entering the command module. Uh, under the title, Going Home, G-O-I-N, Home, this is the message uh, procedure for leaving OWS. One, sweep out OWS. Two, turn refrigerator on low. Three, turn out lights. Four, terminate paper delivery. Teleprinter paper, that is. Five, set air conditioning thermostat. Six, inform any nearby neighbors that you will be gone at least a month. Seven, put garbage out and pray for a pickup. Eight, Pack carefully. Be sure to include clean pair of socks. Nine, put the cat out. Procedure for entering the CSM. One, clean feet before entering CSM. Two, sit down and fasten seat belts. Three, adjust rear view mirror. Four, release emergency brake. Five, exercise particular care in backing up. And six, drive carefully and go straight home. <laughs> Okay, well, Splashdown in the Pacific Ocean came on June the 22nd. Now, Joe Kerwin was a medical doctor, and in an end-of-mission press conference, he was asked this. Your fellow's ready to answer a few questions this morning? Yes. Okay, the first one is for Dr. Joe Kerwin, the first medical doctor in space. As far as you can tell now, what effects have you noticed from weightlessness? Does there appear to be a leveling off effect as far as zero-g changes are concerned? Well, right now the score is man three space nothing, but it's a little early in the game. Uh, there appears to be a leveling off. In fact, there appears to be little or no change in, uh, in some of our experiments, and there appears to be some change in the others, possibly still continuing. I guess let's wait till we get down and look at the data before we make any rash decisions, but I'm very encouraged. After the splashdown, there were jubilations in Houston's Skylab Control. This is Skylab Control. Here in the Mission Control Center, cigars are being lit. A lot of hands being shaken, backs being patted. On the big forward screen, a replica of the Skylab crew patch. And these words, Skylab 1 slash 2, mission accomplished. A tribute to the combined abilities of NASA and all support contractors who surmounted problems to begin a new era of scientific achievement. We will continue with a chat with Joe Kerwin. Yes, a real chat with 
Joe Cooen here on the Space Show. 88.3 Southern FM. On this week's The Space Show, we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the saving of the Skylab 1 space station by the crew of Skylab 2. And a member of that crew was Joe Kerwin. A few years ago, in a video call from his home to a meeting of the Space Association of Australia in South Melbourne, astronaut Joe Kerwin had this recollection of his Skylab 2 mission. Joe, the highlight of your your mission to, to the space station, the, the, uh, so you were on the first mission, right? The mission that actually got the thing I was fired the back first- up again. Right. It was the uh, it was it was the medical the, the the medical objectives were prime in that mission. So I got to fly on the first one. Uh, Owen Garriott uh, came to me a few months before the flight and said, Joe, you know, you're the doctor. You should go on the longer mission. So why don't we swap places and I'll go on the first mission and you can have my place on the second mission. And I said, I didn't think that was a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, your mission changed dramatically because the the space station was basically inoperable yes. and failing. So you had to do and surgery, therefore, and therefore, I have to say that the highlight of that was definitely the spacewalk. Uh, it was uh, it was when uh, we had done all the preliminaries, we had figured out how to stabilize me so that I could get the jaws of the uh, of the uh, of the limb lopper over the offending scrap of metal that was holding everything down. Uh, Pete had gone hand over hand down there uh, with sharp edges everywhere to fasten a rope to the end of the solar panel. And then the two of us, I tied the uh, the other end of, of it back to a stanchion. The two of us got under the rope and stood up and we exerted enough tension on that solar panel to unfreeze the hinge. And all of a sudden, you know, we standing up, pushing, all of a sudden we went ass over tea kettle in outer space, pulled ourselves back by our, by our umbilical and turned around and that solar panel cover was fully 100% up and you could see the panel starting to come out. Wow. And that's, a, that's when I knew that uh, mission control and the subsequent crews were going to love us. <laughs> Indeed. That was a great, Indeed. that was a highlight. We're going to hear more from Joe Kuhn in that conversation with uh, Peter Owen at the Space Association of Australia shortly. 1973 was when Skylab 1 was launched, the space station, and then Skylab 2, which uh, happened 50 years ago this week, the launch of Skylab 2. Now, after the mission, Pete Conrad left NASA and went to work at McDonnell Douglas. He died in a motorbike accident in 1999. Paul Weitz flew one more mission, commanding the STS-6 space shuttle in 1983. He died in 2017. Now, Joe Cohen never flew in space again. As you will hear shortly here on The Space Show, he is very much alive. Two more Skylab missions were flown. Skylab 3 launched on 1973, July the 28th, and returned on September the 25th after 59 days. 
Skylab 4 lifted off on 1973, November the 16th, and returned 84 days later on 1974, February the 8th. The intention had been to reoccupy Skylab using the space shuttle as a crew transport. Unfortunately, two events transpired to prevent that. First, solar activity increased the density of the upper atmosphere and the additional drag caused the orbit to to decay faster than anticipated. Original estimates had been uh, predicting a re-entry on March of 1983. Well, secondly, the space shuttle, planned to begin flying in 1979, did not make its first mission until April of 1981. And so Skylab re-entered the atmosphere over the Indian Ocean on 1979, July the 11th. Pieces of debris fell on Western Australia. Joe Cohen, in that discussion with the Space Association, described what happened. So have you been to Esperance to see your spacecraft in Western Australia? You, you... Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we regret that, but uh, it turned out okay. We didn't hurt anybody. <laughs> that was an interesting thing. All, all through the years after the last crew left, uh, and you heard from Fred that the plan was to, uh, to visit Skylab uh, and and either bring some kind of a propulsion module to hook on and and uh, uh, bring it back into a higher orbit, or to to do the same thing in in reverse and uh, and uh, deorbit it in a in a controlled fashion. Uh, we had uh, two centers tracking Skylab's orbit. We had uh, Marshall, uh, which said it was going to stay up there till 1983, and we had Goddard which said, eh, they weren't so sure. It looked like solar activity was increasing and the drag at that altitude was going to bring it down. And Goddard was right. And uh, so it was, It was. I don't remember the dates exactly now, but somewhere in 1978, I think, that they came to came to us and said it looked like Skylab was, uh, was not going to make it into the shuttle era. Uh, and they uh, assembled a small team uh, and uh, they went out to uh, Bermuda. Skylab was essentially dead. Uh, it was drifting, uh, but the solar panels, when they pointed at the sun, developed enough voltage on the line that they thought they had a chance to communicate with it. Uh, the only uh, the only station that still had the old gear was was Bermuda. So they went out to Bermuda, and every time it flew over, they they said hello. And uh, finally, after 12 or 13 tries, it said hello back. Oh, wow. And they managed to establish communication, stabilize the attitude. They got a guy from IBM to come and build a new attitude control mo- model for it. Uh, and, uh, and, and then carefully planned the orbits uh, uh, so that they could transfer from minimum drag to maximum drag, but just by changing the attitude uh, of the spacecraft. Uh, in time to slow it down and bring it into the uh, uh, Pacific Ocean west of Australia. Uh, They miscalculated the mass 
of the Skylab a little bit. They used pre-flight uh, pre-flight numbers, and, and it was a little heavier, so it didn't come in quite as far off the coast as it should have. And some of the heavier pieces landed in Southwest Australia, uh, uh, but they didn't hurt anybody, and I don't think even they scared some cows. That's about uh, as far as it got. Uh, one one lucky young man uh, uh, found a piece of it quick because there was a radio station up in California that had uh, promised a prize to the first person to bring them a piece of Skylab, and he won the prize. Uh, and, uh, uh, of course, uh, I was lucky enough to be assigned to Australia uh, a few years after that, and, uh, and uh, I had no sooner arrived on the airplane and been driven to my new office in Canberra uh, and met my new secretary, Lucy, uh, when the phone rang. And she's gestured, and I picked up the phone and said, NASA representative Joe Kerwood. And this guy said, I've got a bloody great piece of Skylab, and I wonder if you're still buying them. And he did. It turned out he had a, he had a, you know, a, 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 a scarred but intact oxygen tank from Skylab. And uh, unfortunately, we weren't buying the parts anymore. They had enough to satisfy their scientific desires. But I, uh, I officially um, uh, recognized it, uh, uh, that, that it was a true piece of Skylab, and uh, he was going to hang it out in front of his bar somewhere down there in the southwest. And, uh, that was my introduction to uh, your fine country. I, I, I was at school at the time, and I, uh, when, when Skylab came down, I, I found an old carburetor in the, in the garage, and, yeah. I, and I put some black powder and stuff on it and put it into a shoebox and took it into school the next day and said, look what landed in the backyard yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> evil, evil. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Joe, um, if, if they had saved Skylab, were there plans to actually reuse it and resupply it and so on, or would it just be left there early? There was a plan to reuse Skylab. <clears throat> there was a, a plan during during or shortly after our missions when it still looked good to uh, do a Skylab 2 or a Skylab B, I guess, uh, get some new crews up there and do so because there were a lot of experiments that people had wanted to do and there just wasn't time or uh, 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 transportation enough to do them. And one of the biggies, I kind of wish we had done this, was to rotate Skylab rapidly enough to form artificial gravity at the two ends of it and do some experiments on the effect of the, of the crew on, of, of creating a third of a G or half a G of artificial gravity and see if that helped them with the uh, ill effects of long, long-term weightlessness. Cause you do decondition your bones, lose calcium, your muscles get weak. Uh, you have to exercise and do some things as countermeasures. And uh, uh, artificial G had uh, had long been a uh, a candidate, for example, uh, for a Mars mission or some other truly long duration uh, float. It would be great to have a uh, a Mars spacecraft that had a an inertial core and then a rotating crew habitat around it, so that the crew wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, <clears throat> decondition too much on the way to Mars. But uh, None of that took place, and uh, right now I think we're uh, we're in uh, in such good shape with six month 
experience on the International Space Station that we don't really need the complications of artificial G. So there we are. That was Skylab 2 astronaut Joe Koo and speaking to a Space Association meeting via video link from his home. Well, this has been The Space Show. I'm Andrew Rennie. 